Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Women in Confidence, the podcast for ambitious working women. This week, I'm joined by Ulrika Simonati, who is a leadership and communication coach with over 20 years of experience working across a variety of organizations. Ulrika believes that female leadership is one of the biggest untapped potentials in the world, which led her to founding Empowering Female Leaders, which I'm sure we'll hear lots about shortly, which helps women leaders flourish and confidently carry out the vision of their careers. So a perfect guest for Women in Confidence. So welcome, Ulrika. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much, Vanessa, for having me. <laughs> oh, no, it's an absolute pleasure. I know we. I know you've got lots to share with our listeners. So thank you for being on the show. Now, how I like to start out, Ulrika, and I always ask this question of my guests if I remember. Sometimes I forget, but I remember this week. What does having confidence mean to you? For me, confidence is having the courage to be yourself, to be authentic, and to show how you truly are. And I think this is one of the most difficult things to do in the world, and especially in the business world. So for me, confidence is this, that you trust and you love yourself and you show yourself just like you are. So you say being confident or showing your confidence is one of the most tricky things. Do you think that's nuanced for, or more tricky for women to show their confidence in the workplace? I think overall it is. Now, I don't know if statistics around this are really right, but what I see is that women have a very high level of self-criticism and many more women are true perfectionists than men. That's what I see with my client base. I obviously have men as well who have uh, a lower confidence level and who don't show it at all. And for them, it's maybe even more difficult because of expectations. But what I see in women is that we have such a high expectation level towards ourselves that we can never fulfill our expectations. And that means that we're telling ourselves off all the time because you're not good enough at work, not good enough as a mother, not good enough as a, as a spouse or whatever roles you have in life. And this leads to the fact that we permanently think we are not enough. And I think this is typically female. So, and this is typically what's standing in our way. Well, hopefully you're going to share or help the female listeners overcome some of those perhaps those challenges that we have to express our confidence or to to appear confident at work or even not just appear just actually be confident so that real internal confidence so based on your experience uh, working in businesses and also just your experience of working with all those clients what can leaders do particularly female ones because of the the audience of this show so what can they do to be more confident at work I think the first thing is to understand your true strengths and to be aware of them. And that sounds very basic, but what we permanently do, we focus on the flaws we have, on where we are not good enough. We compare ourselves to other people. If we start observing ourselves in, in our daily life, in our work life, we realize that we permanently have these negative thoughts or these comparative thoughts that make us feel small, make us feel not being enough. And I think the first thing to do is really to find out how much time do you spend every day with this negative mindset about yourself, with this very self-critical mindset about yourself. So it's the first step, creating awareness and be very clear how harsh you treat yourself when something goes wrong, doesn't go perfect, it's not even wrong and most of the time. It's just something that goes is not quite right and we become very self-critical listening to ourselves first and hearing our inner voice how strict this is with us I think it's the first really important thing when we want to change our level of confidence and then there's something else where where it's very hard for people to understand that we always believe that what we think is the reality 
and our thoughts shape our reality. That's the basic of self-development as well. But we think, truly believe that what we think is the reality. So when we think that we're not good enough in something, then we believe that this is the reality. And all the other people who tell us that we are so great in doing this, we believe they are wrong because they do not know the truth. <laughs> we think, no, 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 behind the scenes, it's not that, it's not that shiny, it's not that beautiful. And I think something very important is to understand that we can make a decision which reality we take for the reality. Because the reality of people who appreciate us or who even love us is their reality. For them, this is crystal clear that we are fantastic in excelling in something, for example. Whereas for us, it's like, no, 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 they are wrong. So we can take a decision and say, okay, maybe my reality is not the real one. Maybe I can just accept a positive reality of someone else because this someone else might have also their lenses, their glasses on how they look at me, but why not taking their glasses instead of mine and changing, really changing the perspective on how you look at yourself. And this is very, how to say, it feels pretty wrong in the beginning. It feels a bit like lying to yourself, but over time, just accepting is a first step, just accepting that this is possible, that this other opinion can be at least as true as your own is a first step to get out of this negative paradigm about yourself. And this is how you can build confidence, because this is how you can see yourself in a different light, in a much more positive one, much more benevolent one, actually, because yeah, the harshness goes away. And this is how we can build ourselves up in a different way. So in order to, I guess, understand what's perhaps what your self-talk is, that you're having to really tune in to what you're saying, you know, your mental um, messages. Now, I, I've encountered this, but I also know from having my guests on or any clients I've dealt with, that is really tricky because we've got all the jobs and all the roles and all the stuff going on and, you know, the shopping list and the, what I've got to do tomorrow and da 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 how do you advise people to really tune into what their brain is saying and start to listen to some of the messages, which might not be that nice initially, but how do you advise people to really silence everything else and tune into what your voice is saying? There are two possibilities. Either you do it in a real situation that you live through, which is more tricky because usually you have other people around you in that moment. Or you do it just in a mental way by visualizing a critical situation. So by visualizing it in a just purely mental way, in a very safe way then, because then you can really listen to yourself, is about um, really diving into a situation that is difficult for you, that is difficult for you, where you feel like, oh, this is one of these situations where I know I always feel like a failure. <laughs> it's terrible. Maybe it's a, a situation of the past as well, simply a memory of a situation where you thought, oh my God, that was really horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. And yeah, take that time, which is not a nice time, obviously, diving back into such a situation, but really going into it, bringing it alive in front of your inner eye, Alive means seeing it in color, hearing the noises as well, until you realize that you start to have the same emotions than in the past, that you really feel well bad about yourself, basically, like it was in this very moment. And that is the moment where you can ask yourself, what thoughts are coming to my mind? And keep a notepad just handy that you can quickly take some notes because you will quickly forget them again. So it's really about understanding, well, what's what's said in my mind? What sentences are these? It's obviously easier if someone does this exercise with you because then you can relax because you're guided through this kind of exercise. Um, 
but you can do it yourself. It's a little bit more difficult because you need to concentrate on the one hand on the process, but also then on your answers that's coming from your insight. And then really looking at these sentences, when you have written them down, you can open your eyes again afterwards, you're stepping out of the situation and think, okay, these sentences, where are they coming from? Who is saying that? Am I saying this to me? Is my mother saying this to me? Is there a former teacher who is saying this to me? To better understand the origin of that, even if it's not about making a big psychoanalysis around it, but just to get a better understanding of it. And then when you have just these little, it's like little nuggets, you might have two sentences then or three, which you've heard where you think, wow, that's really harsh. First of all, create the awareness. If you had a friend in the same situation, would you tell a friend something like that in exactly that tone? And the answer is always no, always, yeah? So what would you tell a friend then? You can immediately set up an alternative sentence, an encouraging one, logically, because if you were a friend, you'd say something nice to the person, encouraging her to get out of the situation somehow. And keeping this in mind and looking for a similar situation that is coming up in reality and then being very aware, take out this little piece of paper. What were the sentences that I heard last time? Let's watch out for it because then you have a more concrete eye on that. And in the situation, you will better hear it. You might hear other sentences then or slightly different ones, but at least you are much more tuned into it and you already have your alternative version. So you can then make a decision and think, no, no, I don't want to, I hear you, but I don't want to think that. I think what I have written down, I think my encouraging sentence is, I'm my own best friend. And I do that now. And it feels odd, but <laughs> but it helps. And it can become a way of being, but it needs a lot of training. It's mm -hmm. really like starting a new a new sport. It, it needs a lot of training. Yeah, I agree. It does take practice to do that. And it's like, it's almost like training your your brain muscle to be able to you know tune into what you're saying and then go through that process of a bit of analysis can you recall a situation where you've been taking yourself through that exercise I'm doing for me the most critical situation is when I have a new client and especially when it's a big one a corporation for example where I know there's really something at stake it could be a great contract for me for a few months for example and where my self-doubts kick in as well, obviously, if there's something at stake, then suddenly it's like, oh, my God, oh my God, I have to do or I have to do this and say that completely stupid, because in this very moment, I logically step out of my authenticity. So I shouldn't go there. So I should stay myself and just be natural. And if it's fine, it's fine. And if it's not, it's not. So what, what I do then is actually I try to get myself grounded before the conversation, grounded not directly in my thoughts anymore, because I'm more looking into my feelings, but more grounded into this, this trust into myself and into, let's call it the universe as such, into the fact that things go right. So if this client rejects me, then it was probably not the right environment for me. And believing that, if it's true, true or wrong, I will never know. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but still, having this trust this overall trust. And I try to get grounded into this, saying to myself, and I think this is very important for, very important for confidence as well, that whatever happens in the situation, it always will be a learning for sure. If it has the outcome that I desire or not, it will always, always be a learning. And that's my last thing which I do, because I know that I can stick to that in the moment and say, it's a learning. It's a learning, it's a learning, a learning. A learning is always great. So it's good. 
per se. <laughs> and looking at it like this, it kind of cannot go wrong. That helps me very much to just stay normal and to, to try to be myself and to not oversell myself because I really need that job. I really want to have this, this uh, contract with them and to forget about that, actually. That removes a lot of pressure on myself. And I think for other women in different situations, it's a bit the same thing. If you go in with this high level of expectation, just huge pressure on yourself, then you can't let go all the positive vibes that you might have inside of you because you close down completely and you don't feel good about yourself. And then this negative spiral starts because you realize that and then you start telling yourself off. And then, yeah, we have the whole negative spiral going on inside of the person and not having the result on the outside world. So that's what I usually then do in this situation. I just want to go back to something you said a while ago. Well, you mentioned two things I want to pick up with you. One is about perfectionism. And you said that's, you know, many women struggle with perfectionism. And then you said, you know, things being perfect. And I just want to talk about perfectionism because it might be that the women that we particularly that we work with or perhaps we hang out with are perfectionists. And my question really is, it, it's not necessarily a female trait, but why do we struggle with it more? I think it comes has something to do with our upbringing somehow this question is asked I, I get this question asked quite often and I also ask other people this <laughs> question and it's very interesting everybody has their own theory but most of the time it comes back to the upbringing in a certain way because still today girls and boys are brought up in different ways and boys have more freedom to just uh, I don't know make themselves dirty have a little injury here and there if they're falling it's not that much of a problem um, whereas for girls and the older you are the more certainly that comes in it was more about you have to look pretty you have to be neat and clean you have to behave don't make too many waves don't be like hysteric or these kind of things so there were already a lot of these mini expectations that are put into little girls already where they think I have to be somehow. And I think this I have to be somehow is just really strong for girls or stronger than for boys. I mean, you see it still in the business world, for example. I realized that very much because the higher I climbed up the hierarchy ladder, the more I had men around me. And when you have these social evenings or you go for a two or three day leadership retreat somewhere with them, yeah, then for the men, it's easy to just let go. They drink their two or three glasses of whiskey or gin or whatever, make jokes and her. Huh? And I realized that as a woman, you can't do that. Because you, you can't do that in the same way because you have to behave. Yeah, there is this kind of you have to behave in a certain way. There is a threshold you cannot get across because if you do that, then it's like you're weird. <laughs> and I think I think that's it. So for example more extreme example maybe but a man who would get drunk in that situation in this business context but which is a social business context if he'd get drunk and do a few stupid things people will just laugh about that and then he will forget it and it's okay yeah kind of a woman who will do that I and mean, you lose your whole credibility at work definitely and you will never get it back and I think this is the difference and this comes out of the childhood there was already this kind of you have to behave in a certain way and this is why we put so much pressure on ourselves because I think as a little girl 
you can't behave perfectly <laughs> all the time. No way. You also want to get dirty and you want to jump around and you will fall off your bike and so what? Yeah, but it's seen slightly differently by the parents. And this difference, I think, creates this level of perfectionism where we believe we have to get it all right. It has to be perfect all the time. I think there's something in it. Yeah, so I know there'll be lots of people who are listening to this who are parents of girls, you know, either young girls or I've got a 13-year-old. Yeah, well, there is a message in there is that actually you've got to allow girls to, you know, get dirty, climb the trees, do the, do you know, make mistakes and back off a little bit from treating them differently and putting these codes into them that they have to be perfect all the time so there's no question there but it's more of a plea to anybody who's listening is that if you've got girls you know you're building up a whole world of problems around perfectionism and it you know you're talking like their life and their career challenges they're going to face so what I really want to understand there Ulrika is how can women break through into some of those more senior roles because I know this is your an area of your area of expertise how can we how can we do that you know i'm in that position now so how can we do that two key buzzwords here imposter syndrome and self promotion <laughs> so really these are the two things that play a huge role the first one is imposter syndrome i think everybody nearly has one uh, especially especially in women who are climbing up the hierarchy ladder there are statistics that 70 to 80% of the population has at least one imposter syndrome um i actually had two or three easily and i'm still fighting with one <laughs> it's like you know it's not easy to get rid of these but it's again a question of awareness the thing is that the higher we climb up the ladder the more we think oh, I'm just here by luck or, oh my God, I'm not really good enough. I hope that nobody finds out. These really weird thoughts that we have about ourselves. And it's very uncomfortable to think that of yourself. Very, very, very. And that obviously is holding you back from stepping up to the next position because you already think you do not really deserve the one that you're in. Even though at the same time, we think that we do great, great work and that we work a lot and that we kind of appreciate what we are doing but on the other side, we tell ourselves often say it's not perfect enough. So it's, it's very, it's very odd. Yeah. It's very contradictory, basically, what we think about ourselves in these situations. So I think the first thing is really to be clear about, hey, you have you have this feeling of not being good enough already where you are right now. That is the reason why it's so heavy to step up. And when you step up, you get you give yourself even more pressure. You are more in stress. So I had that when I was promoted to a C-level role. I was called by a headhunter and I thought they they must, um, I don't know, they think I'm someone else. It's not for me. When they called me, I said, are you sure that you're calling the right person? And she said, yes, for sure. I said, okay. <laughs> and when I was checking the requirements for the role, I saw that I could tick literally all the boxes of the job description, which is rare. Normally there's at least one out of the 10 or something where you think I'm a bit weak here and say, well, it's really true. I have it all. But still knowing, by still knowing that, I was still thinking I'm an imposter. So that is totally unlogical, yeah, first of all. To just understand, we are not logical people and we, we, we are in this imposter thing. And this in turn hinders us to promote our work very often. 
there are various reasons why we don't self-promote enough and why especially women don't self-promote enough. One is because we feel like an imposter. The other is that we think self-promotion is not good because we value humbleness very much, for example. People who are very humble, they hate self-promotion, obviously. For them, it's really against their values and so on and so forth. But self-promotion, the second thing is super important. If you want to break through a glass ceiling at work, for example, if you want to get to these high positions where where, where you think, well, I could, I could be there. I know that I can make it. I have the competencies. You need to make a true self-promotion plan. And it's more of a networking plan than just self-promotion. It's not about going out every day and say, well, I'm the biggest, best one and so on. But it's about connecting to the right people and making them aware of your job, making your work visible, basically. Most women make a lot of invisible work Men as well, maybe, but <laughs> we, we think that the others will already discover it by themselves. And they don't. They, they don't. They're busy. If, it, if you're not working on a highly visible project, then they, they won't see what you're doing. So you have to tell them. And with them, I mean the decision makers for your next role. So you need to think who is pos possibly in the room when they will discuss a role that you want to have. And it's not only your line manager. It's not only the HR manager and other people who will decide on this and help them to see what you're actually doing. And being ready to prepare it, um, or being prepared in, in situations that just come like a little gift. You know, we don't use these situations. Like you go into a meeting, be it online or be it in a room, be earlier there maybe, two minutes or three or something like that. Because my, maybe, maybe, maybe one out of 10 times, a really important stakeholder is coming in early as well. And you might have two minutes alone with that person. And then it's a totally lost opportunity if the, then the, what's usually going on is like, ah, oh, hello, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. And you, yeah, I'm fine as well. And that's it. And then both go on mute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could think it's like a little elevator pitch, but which you have to update all the time that you're always ready to say what you have done over the past one or two weeks or maybe months if it's something bigger. So if someone says, oh, how are you doing? You say, yeah, I'm really feeling great because we just achieved a milestone in blah, blah, blah. So you, you just say one or two sentences about your latest achievement. And it's a soft way of self-promoting and you can't stop there. But maybe the person will ask and say, really, I, have, I didn't know that you were working on that. And then you can really dive deeper into, deeper into the project. And that is very interesting. This is how you create this visibility and this is how you can then access the positions that you're interested in. I just want to tell you a little funny story, actually, when you were talking about elevator pitch, because I've actually had that work in my favor. And I actually, I had nothing prepared, but um, I managed to wing it in successfully. So I went for a job interview in London many, many years ago. And I did, I actually got in an elevator with the CEO, but I didn't know he was the CEO at the time. And he was like, oh, who are you? And who, have you, you know, da, 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 all the questions, what have you come for? Who are you? What's your background? And um, I sort of laugh now because I got the job and I think, I wonder if it was as a result of that elevator pitch that I had. So I just, I mean, that's it's a little aside from our conversation, but I just think sometimes having something prepared, because you never know, you might actually get in the elevator with the CEO. <laughs> and I don't think it was a setup. I think it was, it was just a genuine co coincidence. But having that prepared for whatever meeting, whether it's it's in an elevator or it's in, like you say, that's great advice, go two minutes early. You just never know. So I think that's a really good advice to have something prepared yeah. ready to go. I just want to ask you, because you've mentioned it a few times, you also mentioned you've got a C-suite job. What was your background? 
I'm a corporate communications leader by background. Well, my background is marketing, actually, but I never worked in marketing. It was always corporate communications. I just, yeah, it was a coincidence that I, I worked in this area early on in my career. And I was always doing that. And it was very special because usually as a communicator, you don't get very often into the C-suite. Often these jobs are somewhere located in the HR department, which I think is really wrong because it's not just about people. It's also about the external world and so on. And sometimes you report to the CEO, but just uh, directly without being in the executive committee. And that for me was a huge experience, obviously, because it was... um, it was a much more strategic role, obviously, much more strategic business thinking overall. And the reason why I got this role, that's interesting as well. Uh, typically in communications, you find many women indeed. But the first, I had three CEOs in that role. Uh, in three years, three CEOs. <laughs> so very turbulent times. The first one who initially hired me, he told me he hired me because I'm a woman. And because um, I have, because of this, a different view on things. And I said, okay, that's pretty right. And it's funny that it still is like this, actually. The second CEO, a person my age, much, much more, how to say, uh, on equality as such. So it was not really a topic for him. But he said to me, it's really great that you're here because you're the only profile in the whole executive committee that has an emotional focus instead of a thinking focus. If you look at the Myers-Briggs uh, test, yeah, I was an emotional person, whereas all the others were thinkers. And he said, we need that because this perspective is totally missing. And I think this is the point why why I'm doing also what I'm doing with female leaders, because I think that's what we need much, much more. Men can also be emotional. That's not the point. The point is that the emotional way of looking at things in business is usually treated as inferior than the thinking way, as if it was less valuable or somehow fluffy and yeah, not really important. Whereas I believe it's super important because we are dealing with human beings, no matter what the business is. And human beings are emotional beings. And if we permanently leave the emotional part aside when we do a restructuring, for example, logically things go wrong. Logically things, people are frustrated, people are scared, people feel insecure. Then they're not productive anymore or motivated anymore and they lose trust. And all of these big topics that we have in a corporate world are related to the fact that we do not allow in general, in the corporate world, in many different, I've worked across industries, it's everywhere the same. We do not allow for this emotional side. And that turns back to that women actually, (laughs) who have more of this emotional side, still struggle to be themselves at work. And the higher they claim up in the positions, the more they realize that they somehow have to balance their way of seeing things in a more emotional way and potentially expressing it also in a more emotional way towards how can I maintain my credibility to be a professional leader? Because the image of a professional leader today is not an emotional leader. <laughs> it's still a very factual, rational thinker. And I think this has to shift to create true diversity because we want that because of a just much more rich decision-making, a better decision-making. But it's uh, I recently heard something, found that very interesting. Yesterday, where did I hear that? In the news somewhere. That actually, in only in the countries where women have as much to say as men, these countries are flourishing economically. And that is true. And it is a very simple truth. 
And it's not even about if women are in the government or something like mm. that. It's just a fact that women work as much roughly as much as men. They have equal rights and so on. This is where economy is flourishing. And I think that's just such a simple and logical truth because there's already a much richer way of thinking about things. And still, I think that's why I say it, biggest untapped potential still, because even if women are physically in the room, they might not bring in their whole potential because they might not dare to express their authentic thinking because they think ah, it's maybe not professional enough or don't come across professional enough if I say that. So how in that situation then if you're thinking I just don't want to feel professional I don't feel professional enough I can't speak up I don't have a voice all those all those things I've been through I'm sure um how do you how do you encourage women to you know stay in the room which is a bit of a, a token word but how, or phrase how do you get them to stay in the room and say look this is a natural feeling but stay in the room because one the business needs your voice uh the world needs your voice you know there's so many things that are needed in order to bring about the shift and how do you get them to stay there and not do what I've been reading that so many women leave the corporate world when they get to a senior level because it's just too uncomfortable for them yeah I think it needs to volunteer you need to want it definitely (laughs) and you might be lucky and it might be easy in some environments but I think very often it's not easy and I think you need to want that I think it's about having the mission or the purpose that you want to break through somewhere. And if you have that wish, then you can give yourself the means. If you think like, oh, no, it's just too difficult. It will never change. And I am certainly not the one who will make a change. Then you will not have the strength to do that. Clearly not. And it will be a huge struggle all the time. So I think it's being clear about what is your intent, actually, with your life, with your work. Will you say that? Seriously, I want to give it a real try. I want to break through even if I'm not liked anymore, maybe, but I'm respected then. <laughs> and that is the big, that is the distinction. We want to be liked. You have to give that idea up and say, okay, maybe I'm not liked anymore because I'm uncomfortable for many people, but I will be respected. You know, maybe they fear me even, I don't know, whatever, but I will actually at least be respected and bring through my ideas. And you can see it from different ways. I think for some, it's just a good plan to say it's kind of a mission. I want to achieve something. I won't make a little change in a certain environment. Or you can say it's a tryout. It's like an experiment. <laughs> and I'll just try that out. And I see it a bit lightly, you know, not, not that seriously. It's a bit of an experiment. Let's try that out. Let's play with it a little bit. Looking at it from a lighter way removes again some pressure on yourself. But overall, you need to want it. It's not... It's not just about having the, the the great salary and then you 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 struggle getting to work every day and you think what a nightmare I'm just waiting for Friday evening. <laughs> That's not really the sense of life. So I think it needs to be clear what's your intent. When you were going through your career and getting to C-suite, did you ever have a mentor or somebody who sponsored you to say, "Look, Ulrika, you're your own worst enemy. You've got you know there's lots of negative things." Did you have a, a mentor or sponsor? No, I didn't. And I would always recommend to have one because it's really, really hard to not have one. When I stepped out of the corporate world three years ago, I was really thinking, how the heck did I get there? How did how did I make it to the sea suit? Because it's a good question. How did because I was seeing I was doing everything wrong, basically, what I tell today my clients. <laughs> I was over I'm a horrible perfectionist, will still be one, but I manage it today completely differently. 
Um, and I had these huge imposter syndromes, like I mentioned before. I was I was not confident at all. I was therefore not authentic because I always thought I need to appear in a certain way. This did cost me tons of energy. And I always wondered how the heck did I get there with this setup? And what brought me there, and that is a different way actually to get there, is, is hard work in the sense that because I was a perfectionist, I wanted to deliver always. And I got the biggest projects because I delivered always, always, always. And the other thing that really brought me there is that I'm a keen learner. So I always wanted to learn something new. And that in turn kind of helped me to step over this fear of not being good enough into more challenging roles pretty regularly because I wanted to learn something new. That was always stronger. So I had another driver, let's say, who did that for me, internal driver. And that helped me to step beyond these kind of doubts and self-doubts. But I lived with it all the time at the same time. So that was pretty painful, I must say. If I had to do my career again, I would have to do it totally differently. The whole networking thing, for example, creating a network of stakeholders around you and decision makers who who know you at least who, who are your allies somehow I didn't do that ever before it just happened sometimes by coincidence now I had a few role models here and there female leaders also who were really really great that was certainly helpful for me to see someone where I see wow this is this is great I like how she leads her team how she shows the path and gives direction and all of that that helped me quite a lot but when I was climbing higher up, it was very lonely. It was super lonely. My last three years as a C-level executive were extremely lonely, really. I mean, it's like, poor, very, very hard. More lonely than today where I'm a solo entrepreneur, actually. Mm. It felt lonely, even more lonely. I don't know, because in the role, you know, people mistrust you because you're on this high level. So for, logically, you must have a hidden agenda. And so you have even this kind of things coming in. And it's it's really hard. It's not that easy. Yeah. When you had that role, did you see yourself as a role model? So when you're in your C-suite jobs, did you see yourself? I didn't see myself as a role model, but others did. And that was, for me, very interesting to see. And this is why I say today, change the perspective learn to accept the reality of other people. Because when I was quitting, and people usually say that to you when you're gone, not while you're there, it would be far more helpful. (laughs) But when I quit the role, I got a lot of comments and I was really surprised. And this opened my eyes also in a certain way. They told me, you were such a role model for me. You were such a courageous female leader. I always admired this, how you were speaking up. And I always had the feeling, oh no, I'm not speaking up at all or not not enough and not bold enough. And you know, a totally unbalanced view between what others saw and what I was seeing for myself. And that's when I realized that I even could have done much better in these three years, just by having the courage to be myself in situations where my opinion was differing from the opinion of all the other guys in the room, which was happening relatively frequently, especially when it came to anything that was touching the mental health, let's say, of our employees. Because that was never really considered. It was a very financially driven organization. And so it was very hard to bring in the human facts, human factors into the decision making. And um, no, I, 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 I don't know if I had been seen like a role model. Today, many people say that to me, you're such a role model to me. And it's like, for me, 
yeah, I think I'm also a role model in terms of be aware what you should not do because it's just totally unnecessary. It's totally stupid. You, I was wasting time, for example, years and years. I was overperforming. Yeah, and my the roles before this is why I got to the C level role overperforming. Yeah, best performer in the whole department. There were eighty people in this department year by year. Nonetheless, I was always fearing to be fired because I'm not good enough. How stupid is this? And I hear this so often from my clients. And this is so irrational. It's totally irrational. It's, it's a perfectionism that kicks in because you always think it's not good enough, not good enough. If 2% are missing, it's, it's a disaster kind of. And putting this into relation to the reality, because a 98%, even an 80% is fantastic. I mean, how many men are overly happy and self-promote themselves like crazy with 50%? They won't hesitate. We see that all over the place. And as women, you think like, oh, I can't do that. I need to be, a, I don't know, perfect or at least at 90% to even speak about it. <laughs> and that is, that's the point coming back to the self-promotion piece. You need to start shift the perspective on what you're doing, even if you're not truly believing it, because you still believe that only 100% is good enough. I will always believe that because I'm a perfectionist, but I know it. So today when things are not perfect, which they aren't, after this interview, for example, I will also think, yeah, it was okay, but it wasn't perfect. So then I can spend the rest of the day, because for me, it's now half past eight in the morning, blaming myself for little things where I thought, oh, I've spoken too much here and not enough there or whatever. Or I can just say, hey, it was, not, it was good. I, I liked it. There was like 80, 90% I liked. Great. Let's look at the 80%. Let's be happy about that. <laughs> Drink a coffee and be happy with it and move on. It's a decision making how you handle your way of thinking about yourself. Well, I think it's perfect. I think you're doing a really amazing job here. <laughs> so, Ulrika, what, I mean, based on your own personal experience and also what you've learned through your clients over the last three years, what's your one piece of advice to women in particular who? want to tap into this potential of theirs and to be more confident at work what's your one piece of advice do you think I think the one piece of advice is be aware of yourself just all the time be aware and that includes a lot of activities because you're not aware like this but be aware and stop being how to say the victim of your own emotions and your thought patterns who are running like crazy in your brain every day. And it will continue. Everybody has these tremendous number of thoughts every day in our, in our brain. And I think be aware of what is going on there. Give yourself the time to, to get grounded in the morning. And that hasn't to be, it doesn't have to be a half hour meditation, which is great by the way, but <laughs> if you have only five minutes or even if you have only three Close your eyes in the morning and just, that's what I do every morning, just do a little inventory of what are the underlying emotions right now without judging them, just seeing it. Because you will feel, oh, today I'm really worried. Wow, there's a lot of worry today. Okay, there's a lot of worry today, dot. Or, oh, today, wow, I feel great power. Or I'm really, how to say, I'm really motivated about something and excited. Just make a little inventory because that creates some awareness and you do not start stumbling through your day without even being connected to yourself that helps already a lot to just be aware of where I'm at today you know is it a day where oh I feel that inside of myself to be troubled or it's a day of feeling great maybe and this is how you can then manage your day in a different way I think this awareness is super important and the awareness of your thoughts that's what I said in the beginning really become clear you cannot become clear of your 
I mean, the statistics, you know, I'm certainly as well between like 10,000, 80,000 thoughts that we have per day, no matter if even if it's only 10,000, you can never, ever manage them all. <laughs> so, but look then at the difficult situations, those where you feel the least confident. This is where to start from. And this is where you most likely have the thoughts that even kick in in much less critical situations. It's the same pattern. We have just thought patterns that we have and try to shift these. So it's really about creating this awareness first and then act upon it because then you can take actions and you can decide what you want to do differently in your life, inside of yourself, especially. No, yeah. that's great. Thank you for that. I meant to ask you, actually, what who do you actually work with? Who are your major clients? Because you mentioned corporates, but also I know you do one-to-one. So what's the sort of work that you do and who your clients are? So I have two different legs, like, like to say, one is the corporations, uh, where it's uh, men and, and female alike, more men, actually, because if it's leadership teams, then I have often much more men than women. Um, and where I do much more around communication, communicating with confidence, with impact, has a lot to do with mindset as well, and obviously with techniques and skills. And then the other side is one-on-one coachings, where I work much, much more with women, and my focus is on women. And there are two different types overall, I would say. One are more younger women early on in their career, who have a lot of ambition, and who realize after two, three years in the job that oh, it's not that easy. They have great qualifications, but then they slip into this, oh, I'm certainly not good enough. I have to add on more qualifications. Totally nonsense, actually. (laughs) You have to... You have to just believe in your qualifications the other you have them. I mean, you can always add on more. That's a problem, but it's not a solution. So... Yeah, this this way of of thinking about themselves and then how can they step into a new role or also helping them to thrive either in the organization or to make a decision that it's just not the right place to be. Because many just try all the time in the same organization, whereas they will never, ever have the possibility to get to what they want to in this organization. And this is also a decision to make. And then you have other women who are more in their 40s towards their 50s, where it's much more about, okay, I've done... Now, I don't know, 20 years of professional life. What now? Should I really continue 20 more years like that? I feel kind of exhausted, bored. Um, COVID obviously has its effects on this way of rethinking your life. What can I do differently? So helping them giving more direction or finding more direction. It's not me giving it. Helping them that they find their direction and find the means then also how to get there. And that's very individual. It's not always quitting their roles. Sometimes it's just leaving their roles in a different way or slightly switching. And some just start something completely new, which has nothing to do with what they did before. So it's quite, quite uh, inspiring. <laughs> so how can people find you? Um, say there's somebody listening and they're like, I really want to be a client. or I just want to understand a little bit more about what Ulrika does. How can people find you? So they can find me either via LinkedIn simply, Ulrika Seminati, my complicated name, <laughs> or they find me on my website, which is also ulrikaseminati.com. And I have two areas, the corporate world, basically, which you find on the homepage and the, what I call empowering female leaders area, which is more the individual uh, setup. And I will start this year also to set up more programs again for individuals which are not just one-on-one coachings but some discussion rounds as well maybe or something like that just in planning phase now um yeah that's how you can find me and then you can just book a call and get on a quick uh, 15 20 or 30 minute call and we discuss what you want to achieve it's for free and you can find out if we are a good fit or if you're not because you need to have if you want to take a coach you need to take one that fits you where you feel the chemistry (laughs) 
Yeah. And, and do you work with clients all over the world or are you specific yes. to a particular time zone? Yes. And actually, yes, I have clients all over the world. I mean, it's more like you're in Australia. It's more difficult with Australia. But I had recently a one-on-one coaching with an Australian. So <laughs> yes, I, I do actually. It's really all over the place. And that is very interesting because, and, and I think it's, you know, we, we are so different from our cultural backgrounds. Sometimes I work a lot with women in Arabic countries as well, for example, a uh, very, very different approach to things. And on the other side, exactly the same challenges, exactly the same. And it's exactly the same kind of thought patterns, which we struggle with. And so there's, there's a lot togetherness somehow in that, because most of the time we feel a bit alone because we think we're the only ones who have so many self-doubts, but it's not true. Everybody, literally everybody has them. <laughs> it's always the same type of thinking. And this is, um, I find it fascinating that the cultural aspect doesn't make a difference actually at the end I've heard that before and I'm still fascinated to hear it I find that I think that makes some of my expectations assumptions that it would be different because of our cultural backgrounds but it's not and I find that so fascinating and, and just reinforces my belief that at the end of the day we're all human and humans doesn't matter what you know gender race culture you know we all express the same emotions essentially but I've, I've heard it before and it, I find it fascinating so I'm really glad you said that as well so Ulrika thank you so much for being on the show it's been amazing and I know you shared lots of really interesting um, hints and also just sharing your background as well you know there'll be people listening to you who will absolutely see you as a role model and think you know, I really I aspire to be someone like Ulrika. So thank you for being on the show and thank you for your time today. Thank you, Vanessa, for having me.